0: Hello, and welcome to the Better Relationship Podcast. I'm your host, Dolphin Casper, and I'll be exploring interesting, exciting conversations with people who have stories, solutions, and expertise to help you in your journey towards richer and more meaningful relationships in your life. Super excited to welcome three guests on the show today. This is our first three guests podcast. Uh, Three extremely lovely human beings that I've had the pleasure of, of getting to know and work with over the last several months. Um, So I'm going to introduce each of them and have them give you a little bit more of a a deeper introduction to who they are and what their work is about. Uh, But today on the podcast, we're really going to be talking about um, like kind of the multidimensional human being and and, uh, the fact that if we're going to do self-inquiry work, if we're going to do healing work, if we're going to do relational uh, development work, um, it's so important that we recognize that there's lots of different pieces at play. And there isn't one tool that really addresses each of those pieces perfectly. And so uh, coming to an approach to our own healing, our own growth, our own transformation, I think requires some degree of understanding what practice or what tool am I using for what result. And uh, as we start to really understand ourselves and we start to understand the the tools and the practices that are available to us, I think we're going to get a much more effective, potent, sustainable uh sort of trajectory of growth uh, in our lives and in our relationships. So, uh, the team uh, is known as sort of presence, uh, sorry, Patterns to Presence is the the program that they've created. But uh, also on the program today, we have Farhan Nasrali, Zamir Danji, and Sabrina Lakani, And uh, just an absolute pleasure to see all three of you again. And maybe just one by one, you can give everyone a little bit of a better sense of kind of where you've come from and and what your work is about, and then we can dive into the program. Who wants to go first? Farah, you go first.
1: Sure. Um, I, I'm i really glad to be here, and thank you so much for the invitation. It's really an honor to be here with two other people who I really admire and respect, um, and you as well, Dolphin, and, and the work you do to help people transform themselves and also transform and change their relationships. I think I came to this work because my relationships weren't working well. I came from a South Asian cultural background and I studied radical feminism and I became very hardcore in my ideology and ideas. And my relationship with my father and my family was really terrible. And my relationship with my husband and my marriage fell apart. And I really found myself asking the question, what am I not doing here? What am I not doing right? And how can I change, um, this pattern of relationships breaking up and breaking apart? And it really felt unfulfilling to have relationships that weren't working in that way. I mean, relationships are such the stuff of our life. So it really led me on the path of inquiry into, um, into myself and on a path of yoga and meditation and self-awareness. And it also led me on a path towards learning skills of how to communicate through the tools of nonviolent communication and conflict resolution. And those two things together changed everything about who I am and definitely changed everything about how I am in relationship. So it was really through failure that I came to learn these skills that are so profound and beneficial for transforming oneself and one's relationships.
0: Amazing. Thank you. Zamir, your turn.
2: Well, it's a pleasure to be here with you, Dolph. And um, how I came to this work, I, I think that the essence of it was wanting to know who I am. And that question has driven a lot of my inquiry and life and it's taken me to understanding myself in the realm of my body and, and my mind and my emotions and really my holistic spiritual faculty of who I am. And so I feel the work um, that we do in Patterns to Presence, at least the part that I offer, is a culmination of my, my inquiry into this. And, and w- w- what, is, what does it mean to be human? And how do we live in a way that creates the peace, the happiness, the presence that we feel most alive when we embody this sort of like, ah, yes, this is who I am. Ah, yes, this is what it feels like. And uh, yoga played a big part of that for me in my life. Uh, when I was doing a teacher training, I was leading teacher trainings at a college in Vancouver called uh, Langara. And I realized that when a lot of deeper work came out for people, when I, what I mean, deeper work, that in the process of doing yoga and breathing for 30 days, Stuff comes up, you know. Emotions come up, memories come up, pains in the body they didn't know come up, and I realized I wasn't actually equipped to handle it. Like I, you know, I didn't know the the, the that inner process of what was coming up with for people, and I had been exposed to the work of Dr. Gabor Mate about seven years prior in a program called uh, Beyond Addiction: The Yoga Path to Recovery. And these two people who have now formed Compassionate inquiry, which I practiced at that time, it was Kundalini Yoga and Gabor's uh, Trauma Mastery, like it, and he didn't even teach at that time. You just, he was just part of the program. So I had a personal experience where I sat in front of him and I felt undone, like my persona was just undone. Like, you know, it was almost this, I felt like those Tonka paintings where you have this like fierce demon that slays your ego kind of thing. And then I just felt. That happened for me and I was deeply impacted by that. And then shortly around that time, I was doing the teacher training. Fast forward those years later, he was offering a training in compassionate inquiry because it had just happened over time that Sadharam, who was you know working with him, said, what is it that you do? He says, well, I don't know, I just do it. She says, no, I've been with you for years now. Like you have this understanding, this approach. And so they made this approach. They kind of brought it down in almost a syllabus to be able to teach that and i found it to be a perfect complement to what i was seeking um in these in these yoga trainings so that's why i sort of see my work as a holistic counselor so it 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 incorporates the yogic the buddhist dimension the body mind connection with this new deeper psychotherapeutic understanding you know of how to deal with the body and the mind um relationship
0: yeah lovely and i love you know just hearing hearing you two speak uh, I, I imagine it's similar for you sabrina just how we we really bring our life to our work i think when we get honest uh and and we start to listen to what our heart is saying what our body is saying it's calling us to show up and and give what we needed uh in a in a way that's authentic so thank you too sabrina any any yeah let us know uh, what's been, what's your journey been like
1: so,
3: you know, similar to Farah, it definitely started with relationships. And similar to Zamir, it started with a question. And What I found myself questioning all the time is, why? Why is it this way? Why is it not any other way? And I remember as a child, I was always questioning, you know, why am I not the favorite? Why is XYZ the favorite cousin? Or, you know, why doesn't dad listen to me? Why don't we spend time together? Um, why does Amin always get his needs met first? So that question was always like, why not me? um and why someone else and then you know similar to farah i got married and got divorced and then of course that question was right there right right as i got divorced why me why did i get divorced why did our marriage fall apart and i went on this five-year journey to discover what the answer was and a lot of the answer was attachment styles right so we had opposite attachment styles i was anxious he was avoidant We were naturally bound to get together. Okay, but then why? Why does that happen? And what do you do with that? Um, And so my healing journey continuously asked me to think about the why. And what I learned in my journey was how our beliefs get programmed since we're so young. So when you are partnering with someone in a dating relationship, you are actually in partnership with all of the things that they believe about themselves, consciously and subconsciously, things that they've never even thought of. Um, and being the person that always asked, well, why is it this way? You know, being ultra curious, um, led me to understand how my mind had been programmed through my experiences as a child. And, and by many, you know, many a standard, my childhood was fantastic compared to what my parents had. Right. Um, they did everything possible. Nothing was intentional. So there's no blame, but at the same time, they didn't have the tools to assess where am I at in my journey? What am I really believing about myself? And so if some of these insecurities were caught when they were earlier on, or when they were developing, um, you know, there's, a, there's an understanding that we could have prevented what happened. And so understanding all of that and seeing my life kind of just playing out as patterns as I went through a lot of emotions, I felt a lot of emotion, and I always felt like I was making my decision, but that wasn't entirely true. It's because the choices that I even saw in front of me were a result of my attachment pattern. I probably didn't even see any other possibilities. And so opening up that world and understanding how my mind works and how it's connected to my body and how it signals certain things and how it weaves a narrative, that's, that's what I bring to my work today. Um, and pa- that's part of the reason why I became a behavioral scientist, right? I was already doing this for uh corporations who were wanting to know how do you build trust with people why do they think the way that they do why do they make the choices that they do but when i turned that lens on to personal relationships it was such a big aha I'm like oh my god like it had been there right in front of me this whole time i just wasn't able to recognize it because i didn't have the training i didn't have the understanding and now that i do this is exactly how i help all of our clients is to try to mirror that back to them and say well, why do you think your mind is thinking that way what is it telling you about what it believes about you and so that's you know combined with farah's work and, and zamir's work it's such a powerful um multi-dimensional model that we've created and witnessing our clients going through that process is just so remarkable because i know that it's one more person that won't have you know, it won't have the end that I did sort of in that sense of like, they won't find themselves in this trap situation of like, how did I get here? And why is it working this way? So that's, that's the goal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I can, I know myself how, when they're I love how different the three of you are, like in the most beautiful way, I love how different you are. And, and I can feel in, in engaging you, the imagining people participating in a program with the three of you that there's certain ways that that you know you operate, Sabrina, that are going to reach certain people, and then there's you know people that might you might not be able to reach in that way, but Zemir can or Farah can. So like I love I love the the diversity of it, and I can feel just the strength of that diversity in in how you three approach your work. Uh, I have a question for you, Sabrina. Um, at what point? So you, what is your education? It's a it's a degree in behavioral science. Is that what it is?
3: all my formalized education is in business management okay and so you're probably wondering how does someone who majors in business management and then goes and gets her mba do, you know how does she have a behavioral science um, position in corporations or working with people mm. um it seems to be that the behavioral science world is so new and fresh and I I have been reading psychology books since I was 14 and my previous manager and I discovered that I have this um, kind of uncanny ability to read text and make sense of it on a subconscious level that he had never seen anyone else do, um, and so that's kind of how all of this started. Is that's why I do journaling, right? So all my all of our clients do the journaling, and I read through it and I I digest it and I understand what's going on in the subconscious level.
0: Yeah, cool. So I'm gonna ask you more about the journaling and, and just how you analyze because I think it'll be interesting for people. I don't I don't think a lot of people really do the deeper nuanced uh, kind of exploration of like how our words reflect our inner states and our inner beliefs. And I think that's true of spoken word and for sure of written word as well. So we'll get into that. Um, at this point, I'd love to hear uh, just a, maybe a kind of a condensed version, like how the three of you came together. I just think it's a really beautiful, interesting story. Um, so yeah, who, who, who wants to jump in and, and start that, that piece around the, the formulation of Patterns to Presence?
3: Well, I'd like to start it off and then maybe Zamir and Farah can add in. So Zamir and I had our own individual clients. So all my clients were journaling for a set number of weeks. Zamir's Zemir clients, clients were doing CI with him. And at one point, I recognized that I was getting to, it was like hitting a wall with a client. I was like, I know there's an emotional wall, but I can't seem to like get through to her. Um, and of course, I focus mostly on the patterns and the mind and logic and things like that, right? So not nothing was working, but I knew that there was something there. So I came to Zamir and I said, hey Zamir, can you have just one session with this client? I feel like there's something there, but I can't get to it. And of course, he has that one session and it's a breakthrough session for this client. And we sort of stumbled upon, okay, maybe we should be partnering on this together. Like there's clearly so much power in bringing our work together. And then shortly after that, he um, he said, hey, I want to introduce you to someone. I said, okay, sure. And uh, so that's when I met Farah and I got to see her work with a couple. And it was so remarkable. There's nothing I can say or teach someone about communicating with a partner. Like I was trying to do that a little bit, but that's not really my domain. That's Farah's like expertise. And I was like so glad to meet her because I knew that that's exactly what we needed. And so that's my, of course, my end of the story. And I'll let Zamir and Farah add into theirs.
2: Yeah, I think you said it all Sabrina. I've known Sabrina for a decade. So there's also this relationship of, of trust between us um, and an understanding that we've both seen each other through our own journeys. And I think that's really, that fed a lot into the container of healing that we want to hold because we hold that for each other. So we like really can do that for our clients, like authentically. Um, and we're we're like, there's no competition between us. We're really like, we're like, how can we make this the best possible experience for the person coming in? And then as a team, I, I also worked with Farah on a um, sort of a monthly thing we did for yoga teachers. And I really got to see her gift in that, especially this quality of an IMSA, nonviolence. Like, you know, it's one thing to say nonviolent communication, teach a technique, but, you know, when your aura embodies it, that's so much of what people get, right? And her background in yoga and the Dharma teachings of yoga. And to make that a reality, if you want to live what you teach. And so I felt like what we had was this great uh, synergy between us, not on just the level of skills, but in relationship. And that's a big part of the uniqueness of the program is we have a good relationship and we communicate with each other about, you know, the client that we're working with. It's like, you know, there's three people holding them, not just one. And we sort of pass them, you know, along to each other right? Adding our insights, our perspectives, and each time it helps us to get a deeper understanding of how we can, you know, serve or work with the person because it's like we're getting the assistance of two other, you know, minds on this and hearts on it. So that, that the feeling, I think that Carter drew us, to, drew us together as well, just was like this attractor pattern to this work.
1: I would add that what I noticed about the three of us coming together is there really was a magic and synergy and how it all unfolded, and how much things took off when the three of us combined our work together. It was like a momentum that happened on its own, which I think you know when when something is effortless in that way at the beginning, it really feels like it's the right thing that you're on the right track. And so I really, really felt that from the very beginning that there was this magic and synergy. And the other thing that I want to mention, which I think is really unique about all of our perspectives, is we come from a similar cultural background. And I think we understand the interplay of cultural norms and and ways that that influences patterns and and that's such a big part of so many people's experience is coming from a cultural background that has that can be understood you know so i i really want to also speak to the fact that it's it feels so familiar and wonderful i feel so at ease in working with two people who not only have such a high degree of expertise and skill but also who share a familiarity with what it means to have a lived experience within a particular culture and what that looks like to to bring your culture into a North American context and western context and western psychological tools.
0: So so far, you're you're speaking to the cultural context and I think you know the the sort of the commonality for the three of you I mean there's a there's a western culture commonality but there's also a south asian uh, cultural commonality um, like can you say a little bit about uh, how having an understanding of cultural influence uh, Influences your work, but also maybe how that influences someone coming in that might want to create change. you know I, I'm interested in the most fundamental aspects of human transformation, but culture is is such a huge component of of how we sense make and then how we make you know how we make our choices. So yeah, anything the three of you would like to say about the cultural context and how that influences the work you do
1: that's such a good question. and i I'm not sure I I know the answer um, right off the bat, but what I can say is that it's not only the culture of our society that matters. Like, you know, in yoga, it said that when, when a child takes its first breath, they take in and register the consciousness of the planet. And that registers in their consciousness. And when a child is in the mother's womb, Everything that the mother feels registers in the consciousness of the child. Everything the mother takes in through the sense organs. So we live in a North American context, which um, really really highlights and values individual freedoms and, and individualism. But when you grow up in a culture that places a less emphasis on the individual and much more emphasis on the collective it really shapes your beliefs and thoughts. And and as Sabrina probably knows best and can speak to this most, often these collectivist ways of thinking can really be a hindrance to our own personal autonomy and development and our own individual, the realization of our full potential and our full self. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, understanding religious and, and cultural norms is a big piece of understanding a whole human being because so many people um, are born into a religious community or faith community or cultural community. And so just having that lens and understanding of how that affects our beliefs, our thinking, our norms, our um, really allows us to have a bigger picture and understanding that culture matters and somehow we have to find our place in terms of the balance between our individual self and also our place within a cultural context and a and understand you know what religious or spiritual beliefs did we inherit and what are our the ones that we choose to carry forward what is our experience of Spirituality and the sacred that we we know to be true, or we uh, that resonate, and the ones that resonate within our experience may not be the ones that were handed down by our parents and by our culture. I'm sure Sabrina and can say more about this, but that's my um, on the spot answer to your question.
0: Beautiful. And and I, I want to hear them. I just want to point out one thing that you that you brought up that I think is so important, which is there is a a kind of necessity to balance and make sense of the the kind of collectivist um sort of community orientation to what our lives are about, our interconnectivity and our individualism like I think it's not an either or it's a both and and how do we include those two in a way that is nourishing for us and allows us to be in service to the communities we're a part of so I just wanted to kind of bring that piece forward and, and we'd love to hear Sabrina and, and Zamir give their two cents on this.
1: So
3: I think what's really important you know to add to that is that there's always a there seems to be a, an immigration story or, or a story about sacrifice Um, for a lot of our clients, right? And so you, as a child, you're told all the sacrifices your great-grandparents and your grandparents and then your parents made in order to create the life that you have today. So then that sort of creates the sense of indebtedness or or a sense of duty. um, And that it creates that idea in the mind saying, you know, I'm not, I'm only good when I'm fulfilling my relationships or my duties to others. And so then you get a lot of those people pleasing and you get a lot of these like, well, I have to do this, that and the other thing for someone else, because how else am I going to know that I'm good? And and that's the problem that we sort of face with, you know, as children or as people growing up in the South Asian culture. But of course, in the Western context where that sort of is not rewarded and there is you don't really get any credit outside of home for that, but it's very much shapes your psyche as to who you are and what you're able to do. What's possible for you? And if you can't free yourself from that idea, that limits your personal transformation and reaching your highest potential, right? Because a lot of times we have to let go of our idea of what does it mean to be a good daughter or a good sister or a good mother or whatever so that we could discover our our real potential.
0: Yeah, awesome.
2: I... I think what's really interesting about how what works what I've seen in this program is that there is that because there's a shared cultural context we can get under the hood of of you know what cultural dynamics and how they're playing out but in essence the work is transcultural. I mean it's really about an orientation to values, a conscious orientation to values whereas you come with a culture that is imp- 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 imposed upon you, this is the values and this is your womb and you operate within that you know, you come out of the womb of your mother, but then your family in your home is your second womb. And that's your culture. That's a reflection of who you are and your values and then school and then society at large. But it's just layers upon the layers of this. Whereas, you know, the deeper work is coming and saying, who am I when I cultivate a culture of authenticity, of compassion, right, of uh, tolerance, or whatever we choose, right? In In the program, they explore it through different values that are really comes fundamentally what's authentic, right? And we find that when you, when you do the deeper work and you become self-aware, you start to choose wisely, but you already know it's already in you. You know, like when people see they go through the program or they listen to go through a CI session or the insights at the end, there's revelations and part of what makes it really true is that it's something that they know is true inside of them and has been that way all along, and that's wonderful to behold, right? and that can be anybody regardless of their skin color or whatever background they come from. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the the transcultural piece. Uh, and are so in terms of the clients you all work with, are they all South Asian or or predominantly South Asian? How does that how does that end up kind of playing out?
1: I
3: have all the data so I should run the analytics on this, but I would say we're at 50/50. Okay. Um we do get a lot of south asians because and they do come to us for that reason is because well i'm tired of explaining my background or my culture or my religious you know rituals and whatnot to my therapist and i need someone who already gets in so we get a lot of those clients but we also get a lot of clients that have nothing to do with that and they're just like i, I just really connect you know i heard you on a podcast i so just really connect with the modalities that you offer i think this is what i need
0: and and you know just from the three of you from your perspective um, are there any particular challenges or benefits or, or benefits is the wrong word challenges or, or kind of aspects that make it easier for you in working with South Asian versus non-South Asian clients? Like what are the sticky points on on either side of that? And, and, and what, what do you find maybe easier with, with those groups if we're going to group people?
3: I don't think that there's anything particular that I would point out saying makes it easier. I think it's always interesting, right? Because even within South Asian, you can't bucket them all. There, there is birth order that matters. There is, you know, your parents' birth order that will often matter. Like it, it's really about figuring out what is that womb that they're operating within, and and wh- where does the value or the hierarchy fall? Right. That
2: resonates? zamir yeah yeah it resonates that what i find is there is a i think that the religion that you come from does play a role in your sense of what your spiritual orientation is and that having a some form of orientation spiritually is at the core of like our meaning making so sometimes it's interesting to observe that there's a often in a Western context um, that's more driven by a narrative or a story of like materialism and progress and a further for, further departure from you know whatever the religious background was or spiritual orientation there's like can be a, an additional kind of crisis of meaning and part and the beautiful thing about getting to know yourself is that It can connect you with that essence as well like i I really see that that's that's possible so you know i don't know if that they really didn't really answer your question but that's just something i felt compelled to say
0: no i think it's it's in there for me because you know the the cultural context is in us it's not like just it doesn't operate just in the mind like it's in our body it's in our emotions it's in our implicit sense making and and so it's in many ways, it's the primary lens through which we make sense of what's coming at us. And so if we're working with people, if we don't have a sense of that lens, it doesn't mean we can't reach them. But there's ways that we're going to be able to reach them if we do understand that lens. And, and and that includes vocabulary we use, it includes our own direct experience with the things and concepts we might talk with them about. So, you know, I think it's super on point. And and, and there's just so much to culture. And And of course, it's even like Sabrina pointed to, it's like you can't say South Asian culture really. Like you can say it, but that's a big diverse bucket right there. And 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 if we really want to get honest about human beings, we need to get into the the nuances of it all. So I don't I don't mind grouping people as long as I know what I'm doing, and I know what I'm missing by doing so. I think then then we can group and recognize there are distinctions that are worth making. Um, and oftentimes the distinctions get in our way. We get too occupied with distinctions instead of addressing the 99.999% sameness that operates in us, like just strictly from a a biological DNA perspective, like we are essentially identical. And then there's this little overlay of conditioning that's different. And yeah, we can work with both.
1: You know what? I liked what you said, um, Dolphin, and how you mentioned the balance between collective and individual, because what I appreciate about working with some of the clients who might share a, a similar or familiar cultural background or religious background to me is that you know there is an understanding of how important community networks are and our place within a larger group and i think there's a sincere desire in or sh- sincere longing in the human heart to belong to belong to a larger group and to feel a sense of belonging and I think that, you know, when, when we heal the patterns from our childhood and the patterns from our past, we can engage in those collective relationships, whether it's family or community. Um, and we might be doing the same things, but we're doing them with a completely different inner attitude. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I love that Zen quote, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water enlightenment chop wood carry water because you know changing our inner attitude and changing our um the reason why we engage in relationship can really um change everything and i and i think that that longing to belong to something bigger is is something that all humans desire and speaks to the reasons why we seek both to fulfill our our self and our own dharma our own destiny and we seek to be connected in a larger framework something bigger than ourselves
0: yeah i I just see so many examples of where people get it all on the outside you know like all they they they, they have the trophy they get the medal they succeed in business they get the perfect partner they got the house with the white picket fence and and inside there's this gnawing sense of like this isn't it and and so I, it's just just the enlightenment the zen the zen saying um it's not really about the content it's really about the context of life that that we orient to that matters most so yeah i love i love those insights and those pieces of wisdom that in a way we all know and yet look around especially in western culture maybe not just in western culture but like so much striving, so much attempting to kind of compensate or prove prove to ourselves, prove to our parents, prove to the world we're good enough, when we could just choose to be okay with how we are and then live life uh, with the enjoyment of, of giving our gifts. Um, I, I prefer the latter.
3: These are said than done though, right? When, <laughs> we're, when we're involved in proving, it's because there's some part of us that doubts that it's true.
0: Mm. Totally. Totally. And, and I would point to, you know, on some level, our, our relationship with discomfort is such a huge piece of it. Like, if we're going to do the healing journey, if we're really going to engage it sincerely, we, on some level, we know we're going to be facing everything we've been avoiding. And and that is not an easy equation to to balance in real time as we live our lives. Um, yet, it, it is the path. And, and then the question to me becomes, well, how do I most effectively how do I most sincerely walk the path and then how do I put the right pieces in place so that I have the support and the reflections and the relationships that that will hold me along the way when I fall down or when I feel broken or when I feel hopeless Uh, which is kind of the next piece I'd love to chat with you about what you know when it comes to yeah yeah, yeah,
2: go ahead one thing which is I realize this is that you know facing all the parts about yourself is not as painful as we imagine it. Like, you know, when you get to it, you're like, ah, okay. Not all the time, but, you know, many times we have this idea of this, like, boogeyman that, like, lives in us. But then if you meet it with right the right support, feel it fully, understand what happened, you have compassion, you have the tools, you can be with it and it transforms. And and I think people have this, like, fear of confronting it because they because they have admitted before, right? You know, it's that Rumpelstiltskin, you know, like, you call him by his name and he goes, ah, like, pulls himself apart, but... Just going to name it and be like, ah, OK, I see. OK, I understand there's different layers, different experiences, different traumas people have been through. But I do notice again and again and again, human co- resilience and capacity to embrace this part of themselves and to find it that, ah, OK, this is feels so good, feels so much better. Yeah, totally.
0: Just as a segue from that. Can we speak more in a nuanced way, maybe for people that we we hear about patterns, we hear about our conditioning from our past, attachment styles, all of that. Can we get into some of the details of that, like how does that all land? Why do we get so mixed up and stuck? You know, what is trauma? Even if we want to get get into that a little bit, maybe we can define it for people in a way that would be helpful. And then I'd love to spend the last part of our conversation together, uh, illuminating like what do you three feel like is most helpful, the, the most potent kind of effective ways to engage these pieces of trauma or wounds or patterning, whatever words we want to give them, um, so that people who are listening can go away with some really practical things that can help them along their way. So first question, like, w- how would you define trauma? And then how how have you, over your journey, learned to understand it in a way that's been helpful to you?
3: I'm just going to explain how I identify that there's trauma and then I'll let Zemir explain what trauma is because that's his department. Um, So usually it's it's some sort of triggers, right? And because I'm a scientist, I'm I'm always interested in understanding how frequently the trigger is experienced, how intensely is it experienced. Because that's usually like the pre and post test, if you think about it, Um, before you start like a patterns to presence type of program or any sort of therapy. You should have a good understanding of how frequently do I get triggered and, and the, what is it about and like, how intensely does it feel, right? And then afterwards, you should, you'll should you probably still experience a lot of the same triggers, but is it less intense? Is it less frequent? Do I have more tools? Like What's changed in that sense? Um, and then now I'll hand it to Zemir to explain where the triggers actually come from.
2: I like this analogy of a trigger when you look at it you know we use the word trigger and it's from a gun and it's a very small part of a gun but what is it that actually sets off the bullet right what's the explosive part it's not the trigger that's just the pull it's all the gunpowder that's loaded up inside right and so what is that gunpowder that's what we're carrying within us often those are our our traumas our unprocessed subconscious experiences and because we for whatever reasons in life didn't have a compassionate empathetic attuned caregiving presence to help us actually move through that we stored that as a as a as a painful experience that we have to avoid and ways in which we have to adapt ourselves in circumstances to do it and it's a lot of emotions that are often pressed down and suppressed in order for us not to have to feel the pain that we can't process so you know, very often, you know, you, when you have a reaction to something that's far greater than what the actual event is, like it's just a little thing, but there's this big explosion, it indicates that there's past memory and experience that's painful. That's being up, coming up to this situation that is bearing on the present moment. You know, so, you know, I like Gabor's sort of definition of trauma is not what happens to you, it will, what happens inside of you as a result of what happens to you. So when these things happen inside of you, but then they weren't attended to, they keep growing and they get built. So we just have to be able to return and and understand and and process that. And our conflicts, particularly in relationships, bring up all that gunpowder to the surface. All that subconscious material comes up. So it's a great arena to do it in. I love I I love metaphors. Farah, yeah, she she probably has some good.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just one before Farah uh, speaks the 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 gunpowder and the trigger analogy is so apt and and precise. and and there's another kind of layer there that I just want to introduce because I know for some people the the signal of their trauma is actually more a, a, a kind of dissociative one. And so I think in the same way that that the the response to a, a trigger can be this big explosive thing, I think a disproportionately small reaction to something that we would normally, rightly react to is also a signal of trauma. So just the other side of that kind of uh, picture for people that there may be a distinct signal of trauma when things that we should be upset about don't upset us. There's maybe some disconnection, some dissociation or numbing that's been our coping strategy for those triggers. So yeah, anyway, just to add that, I I love the analogy and that other piece is also important.
3: Amir, you want to also speak about uh, the body, you know, like we also do get to know about um, people's chronic pain or ibs or you know gastro issues or migraines or, like all these sorts of things these are all signals that there's something that needs to be healed underneath so i, I really appreciate that point you brought up that yes yeah, sometimes it's like you, the disassociation but it comes out in different ways
2: yes yeah, it definitely comes out in different ways often when we disassociate outwardly maybe pulling back, but you really tune into what happened in the body. There's sort of this stuff that's all going on inside, right? Um, So that is definitely but I appreciate what you said. And when we think of the gunpowder, I didn't, I don't think it was intended as the only way you display it is through an explosive behavior. It can be implosive as much. But uh, I know Farah had some thoughts.
1: You know, I can speak to trauma from the perspective of a partner because my partner experienced early childhood trauma. And what I learned in supporting him through integrating this trauma is that I thought as an adult, you just face your fears. And because that's how I learned to um, work through some of my insecurities and fears. But what I realized in being in partnership is that when a child experiences trauma it's different from how an adult experiences trauma and how you support a person is you you walk beside them so that they feel safe as it comes up and they process and integrate it and it might be in a moment or it might be it might take weeks or it might take years but the ability to walk beside someone and 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 have a relationship where a person can trust and feel safe in your presence um, is the difference between integrating early childhood traumas and perhaps other kinds of traumas and pains that we experience so uh, my my perspective on trauma really changed because I didn't I didn't realize that for some types of traumas, it's not as easy as just facing it. It's actually done in relationship, whether it's a therapeutic relationship or a partner relationship. But what's learned in relationship is a person learns how to trust and how to feel safe. And that's actually the piece of relationship that uh, heals when it comes to trauma, because often it's that trust that's been broken.
0: I would love to say just a couple of things. Um, uh, just beautiful, I really appreciate what you said there, Farah. Uh, I worked with uh, at-risk kids for a long time and uh, more recently uh, worked with homeless youth and, and young adults. And and we were using this trauma-informed youth care practice. And And the youth care practice was initially developed for young children who had experienced abuse and trauma. And, and we had adapted it for adolescents and young adults. And, and one of the things that became really clear to me is that there are these underlying core principles, core needs for human beings. And that's actually across, across culture, but also across age. Um, and so then the, the, the magic for us to do this work well with these teenagers and these young adults was how do we adapt these core principles that were designed for, for babies and young children to be developmentally appropriate? So, you know, some of the some of the core pieces are like just to have our base needs met, you know, so like food, hydration, sleep, a sense of physical safety. Like these are just baseline pieces for human beings to feel good and able to connect. And we can get into p- kind of polyvagal theory stuff and and the activation of the fear response. But but for us to feel connected and, and, and safe, those base needs need to be met. So that was something that was say, basically same for the little ones as for the teenagers and young adults. But we also, we want to belong. We, we want to be in, in healthy relationship and, and there's, a, there's a dimension of attunement, there's a dimension of this person feels me that's vital to us feeling connected and safe. And so that's what an attuned, loving, responsive caregiver does is they feel their child. There's an empathetic experience in the system and somehow, this is the magic of the human condition, the child knows the difference. The child knows the difference between a caregiver that is feeling them and a caregiver that is not and doing the things that they maybe think that the baby needs. And so as adults, it's the same. It's like we actually know when we're being felt or not. So those are some of the core pieces that I think, you know, and and then there's all the like, how do I adapt? Like what do young children need? Great. And then how do I, if I'm working with adults that have wounds from their childhood, there's going to be some overlap and some creative uh, translation like how do we translate these needs to a 45-year-old or a 60-year-old that has lots of conditioning over top, but under underlying that conditioning, underlying the adult needs, there are these kind of fundamental human and attachment needs that, that again, they, they span culture, they span generation. They're just human needs. So anyway, I just want to share that piece.
1: I really like the word attunement. And... You know, in order, to, um, in order to be attuned in relationship, we actually have to learn how to be <laughs> attuned to ourselves. Yes. And somehow we develop the, um, that feeling ability to then be in attuned to other people. And, and Zamir, I know you talk a lot about dual awareness, about how to be attuned to what's happening inside of us at the same time that we are also attentive and attuned to what's happening around us and with other people. And I think that's really fundamental to living authentically and living in a way that really creates fulfillment in our relationships, is that attunement.
2: Yeah, I would add, and I really love to hear Sabrina also on the inner child, because I think that's a big part of what you're saying. Um, but in terms of what, what came up to me, Dalko, when you are speaking is, I love this line by Gabor where he says, safety is not the absence of threat, it's the presence of connection. And that shifts the whole thing, right? We're not just, people say, oh, you're safe, there's nothing threatening around you. Well, if you feel disconnected, you can be alone in your room and feel unsafe in your body, and your mind, and your emotions. They're all operating the program of lack of safety. And that's what most people are going through. That's why they feel anxiety and depression and all these chronic issues that are coming. A big part of it we're finding now is the body's in a state of, 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 of fear. That la- that safety, that connected presence is not there. They can be right next to somebody and not feeling that. Right? And so how do we come back to that place of presence, of connection? And dual awareness is, a part, is a part of being able to do that. But you'll know when you're alone in your room and you're able to feel safe inside yourself, that that sense of presence and connection, that's when you're like, okay, wow, I'm not carrying all this, you know, anymore. Right.
1: So going
3: back to being, you know, alone in your room and feeling safe or unsafe, what we found and what we I know I've experienced is that when the inner critic is so harsh and it's so loud that's when you'll feel unsafe even though there's no like actual threat around you right but it's it's turned inwards and it's largely programmed by our childhood experiences the words things that our parents or caregivers have said to us so it's actually like the bedrock of your belief system and it just repeats over and over again you know we notice that a lot of our clients They'll use um, descriptor words in, in order to compare two things, right? So, for example, a lot of us South Asians tend to believe my parents had it much harder than I do, And so therefore what? I should be thankful. I, you know, I shouldn't ask for more. I should just be happy. You'll have all these sorts of assumptions that come out. And if I'm not that, then I'm not being a good son or a daughter or whatnot. And it all starts from like that comparison, right? Which is part of the inner critic voice. And it drowns out the inner child's voice of like, well, I just I just need to have my needs back. I just need to be heard. I just need to be seen. And that's often the quieter, kind of more silent voice. And so a lot of our work is helping clients tune into those two voices and start to differentiate them, pull them apart, understand who's actually talking in your mind.
2: Yeah, in CI, we call that voice our stupid friend, you know, like that voice of telling you the other thing that we, sh- we shouldn't listen to that person. But we listen to them. It always gets us in trouble, right? We all have that stupid friend. And a lot of times, you know, what we learn in in attachment styles and attachment trauma is that, you know, we we have two fundamental needs and one is authenticity, the other is attachment. Now, based on what you were saying, Dolphin, the primary need for a child is just that feeling of safety and survival, those base level needs, right? Safety, belonging, self-esteem, right? And where are they going to get that? They're going to get that from their primary caregivers. And, and in order to get that, they have to meet the attachment expectations, right? And if you're not willing to meet that, you're actually threatening your basic survival needs. So when you have a choice between expressing what you really feel, what you really think, and what you really need, if the consequence of that, of expressing that or showing up that way, is that you could lose that attachment relationship or connection, right? Which remember in the eyes and experience of a child is very visceral, right? Like. Everything is felt so much more deeply, right? The fear of that loss, that's your lifeline. You're going to choose attachment every time. So the voice in our head is also conditioned to tell us this is what you need to do to maintain or keep that attachment or this is what's wrong with you if you lose it. Because the other thing that the child do can't do is they can't afford to think that, well, my mom and dad are wrong. They don't know what's going on. Like if, there's, if, if, your, if your attachment needs are being threatened or not provided it's because there's something wrong with you. In the deep level, we begin to make that association. So we have to get underneath that and start to shift that. And then our authentic self really starts to be clearer and emerge. right? It's a clear contrast in the voice.
0: yeah, and I you know I think a question that I mean we're getting kind of close to our time, but like how do you get under that? Because I hear you talking about what I define as core belief. It's like wh- what were the the fundamental beliefs that formulated around a painful experience? That had me disconnect from my own authenticity like that's what the core belief is and and justified in its moment in its moment it just absolutely made sense to me to to leave my own authenticity in order to to survive to feel like i wasn't disconnected from
2: my lifeline well, So normally you don't choose it it's like diamonds that's you don't have this like choice moment where you're like okay am i going to respond from authenticity or attachment it's like it's your survival response right? That's often what, that's why it's hard to get under the hood of it, mm. but I'll leave it to, 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 the, to the others. Too.
3: Well, I would say that after, so they go through the Patterns of Presence program, which culminates in an insights call, and that's when we illustrate, like visually show them how it happened, right? So if something happened as a child, here's the, you know, perception that your mind kind of, the meaning that it assigned to it, this is what it means as to who I am and what I am capable of. Or, what I should expect in the world. And then, how does that show up today? so we we show them cycle after cycle, like, here's what you know this happened, and then you did this because, look, it's all based on the same belief of there's something wrong with me or I'm not lovable, or you know, um I'm too much or, or whatever it is, um, or I need to be careful uh, what, who I, what I say to whom and, and things like that. So it's all a limiting factor into who they become. And once they see that clearly, it, it's like that, you know, light bulb goes off and they're like, oh my God, like I've been living my entire life through this one belief that is a faulty belief. And Zinger, I don't know if you want to add on to that because you're always on those calls with me.
2: Okay. But it's insight. It's looking in, right? You get sight in. And if you're going through your whole life and all you're, you only have is outside no insight, you get insight, the outside changes, right? All of a sudden it looks differently. I mean, that's a, a true insight. If it really lands for you in your life, it can be tremendous. And, and the beautiful thing is that, you know, there's this, this, I love this sort of yogic parable that, you know, it only takes one candle to illuminate a room of gar- darkness, but no amount of darkness can put out a candle. So it's like that candle, as so we start to get it lit, it's like, okay, you can start to see, you know, in there. That's, that's huge, you know, even if the one candle is lit. It, it gives that, at least my belief is that it, it, even when darkness comes, if we can remember that, you know, we, we always have access to insight.
1: I think um, we've all had penetrating moments of insight that have shifted us and changed us in in an instant or in a moment or in an experience i think what is also helpful is grounding it in relationships and community that support that affirm that validate um and that hold the container for ongoing progression and growth in a certain direction because sometimes you know we can have a at insight and it changes us and our life circumstances change or there's another challenge that arises of a different nature and so I think it's so important to also um, continually uh, have a relationship with the sacred and with wisdom and have a relationship with the community or have a supportive container because uh, Life is long, and there's, there's not only um, our, our core beliefs that, that um, we can shift and transform, but sometimes there's also life challenges that aren't related to our past that arise that require the input of wisdom in order to actually get through. And so I think it's really helpful to have those moments of penetrating insight and to look for other ways to anchor those insights as we as we live our lives
0: can can you say just maybe one or two things about how we can anchor those insights i think that's just such an important piece that follow-through piece after an insight or an awakening without it it just turns into a nice idea
1: i think a spiritual or sacred practice that's regular and consistent can help to anchor it i think uh interaction with a wisdom tradition can be very supportive in anchoring uh, insights and I think relationships supportive affirming relationships um, can also do that
0: amazing well just for the three of you anything to finish anything else to to complete so that you feel you can step away from this beautiful conversation ready for the rest of your day. And then I'd love for you to share just where people can find the uh, Patterns to Presence work.
1: I-, I wanted to add a funny anecdote um, sure. because I'm sure all three of you have experienced this in relationship and it's very forefront for me. And I'm I'm sure people will be able to relate to it is, yes, we have patterns and core beliefs. Yes, we have our past and the um, norms of our culture and our family culture. Um, and there's one other thing that can have an impact in relationships that's kind of like a a ball from left field and that is hormones and hormonal balance and I I say that because I'm in a period where there's a lot of transitions and in that balance and I noticed early on in my relationships in my 20s that um, there was a pattern that seemed to be related to my Hormonal changes, and it would uh, impact. It would impact my intimate partnerships, and um, and I say that just because I don't know if you guys have also experienced that.
2: Maybe less me. <laughs> um,
1: in your intimate partnerships or in your relationships, oh, yeah. you- okay. right? So I, I just want to mention that because sometimes you know there are external factors that can also have an impact and it's helpful to have that insight um and the support of an outside eye that can just see that hey maybe it has to do with this and then it you know because sometimes um the over analyzing can is not helpful in um in addressing a biochemical shift or change
2: That's why I feel that the communication work that happens with FAR is also really important in the program for the integration. Because a lot of, you know, you, we change, you start to change your relationship with yourself, right? And these parts of yourself. But then you also have to have, like, communicate and have a way of, like, how do I communicate with others from this new place? Right? If you don't know how to do that, it's sort of like, you're like, ah, okay, like, I know that things are different inside of me, I'm feeling different, but... I don't want to talk about this with other people. Like, I've learned this new way of relating with myself, but how do I do it with another person? And the more that we're able to do with another person, the more that our environment actually supports our inner shift. Otherwise, it feels our environment is more and more and more sort of a, 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 an oppositional force very often to this new person that we're finding ourselves to be. So when we can communicate, you know, with that new relational dynamic, you know, we and support ourselves and we of course it enrich others because everybody's going through the same shit you know <laughs> <laughs> like it's pretty it's pretty universal we all need these skills which we didn't get i mean think about it you go through uh 13 years of school some people more no classes and you know interpersonal communication and it's like the thing that we do the most it's like i don't know what we're thinking but you know, getting to know yourself and knowing how to talk to other people—it's what life's about. It's like we have to be you no know, more fluent in it, more comfortable. With it. Totally, Sabrina. Any final thoughts?
3: Yeah, you know, we didn't uh, really talk about self-care, but that's another thing that we focus a lot on. Um, the first and most way, fundamental way—fundamental way—to show yourself that you matter is by, you know, committing to a self-care. Routine, whether it's daily and weekly and monthly, and you build on it, right? You don't do it all at once, but um, it's really about telling yourself, like, I see you, I hear you, I'm here for you, and you matter, and I'm going to take the time to give you what you need. And I think, like, that's one of the best ways to ground yourself with the insights, and it's usually what we recommend at the end. It's like, you know, your life is not going to look different tomorrow just because you know this about yourselves now. Now it's the time to commit to yourself and do something different
0: yeah i just i'm just having an insight about the self-care piece which you know how it's coming to me is um there's actually something uncomfortable to initiate self-care when it's not our way when we haven't taken good care of ourselves when for all sorts of reasons to make that choice to do it differently to like bring awareness and attention and care to this body to this self um there's like a, a layer of discomfort that we need to pass through the 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 brilliance on the other side, like the good feelings on the other side might be incredible, but there's still this kind of like some kind of threshold to to pass or to begin to self-care when that's not our way. So I just wanted to say that. It seems too quick. I would love to speak longer. Uh, the timing is, is such, but uh, I know we'll do it again. So for anyone that's really enjoyed the conversation and wants more uh, patterns to presence or more of either each of you, uh, where can they find you?
2: on relation
0: place <laughs> yes well they know that already oh you know how okay.
3: so patterns to
2: sweet yeah and and sabrina follow her on instagram she puts out great posts pretty much every day and that's like you know sort of your daily dose um and then if you want to you know learn about the program our website of course and there's a pdf you can understand more deeply what it is we're doing and and you know if you decide you want to work with us and we're here Amazing,
0: uh, what, Sabrina. What's
2: your handle on Instagram?
3: It's Sabrina Atta- and then dot attachment stylist specialist. Sorry, Sabrina dot attachment specialist.
2: Got it. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. You'll find you'll find her. And I know Farah's. She has a, actually a yoga program on her website as well, that, where you can interact with her on a regular basis and other things that she offers. Um, yes.
0: Amazing. Well, I, I, I knew I would enjoy. I think I enjoyed more than I was expecting. Thank the three of you for, for yeah, just being a part of my journey, being a part of this uh, platform and and continuing to show up and, and bring your beautiful work to the world. Thank you so much. For those that tuned in, thank you for Thanks. being here.
1: Thanks, Dolphin, for all the work that you're doing in in creating a platform like this and all the efforts with Relation I think it's such an important um, endeavor and undertaking and probably know that more hours than we can imagine going to it. So thank you.
0: (laughs) I'll tell a story about it some other time. But thank you. I appreciate the reflection. Yeah, feels good. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. You've been watching the Better Relationship Podcast. It is brought to you by Relation Flicks. If you haven't already, please subscribe. You can also go and check us out at relationflicks.com. We look forward to sharing
3: so much more with you. And until next time, my friends, love well.